Well, if you will, this morning, take your Bibles and head back to the book of James, James chapter 3, and uh, I want to I talk with you today on the subject of managing your mouth. In fact, because we're Baptists, I'm going to talk about it for two weeks, <laughs> because we need it, don't we? Uh, you know, already Christmas movies are out. Have y'all noticed uh, the Christmas movies are out? My wife is notorious for watching Christmas movies. And she, uh, she was watching some, and she said, e- even for her, she says, it's a little bit early, but maybe you remember there's uh, what has become a kind of a, a modern or even cult classic Christmas mu- uh, movie called uh, The Christmas Story. Have you seen that movie? It's a, it really kind of is a retrospective from a little boy named Ralphie, how he grew up and uh, that sort of thing. How many of you have seen that movie before? If you have, then you probably remember this scene that uh, Ralphie and his friends are out on the playground at school and they're having, it's below freezing, and they're having a discussion about is it really true that if you stick your tongue on a pole in below freezing temperature that your tongue will stick to the pole. Any of you ever done that? Yeah, yeah, we're talking about the tongue. Be truthful too, you know, I, I don't know. Well, and so, uh, so they're all debating it and they're trying to get one another and one of the bo- little boys finally succumbs to the dreaded triple dog dare you threat. And he does. He sticks his tongue on the pole, and voila, his tongue is fastened to that pole. And he's moaning and groaning. And about that time, the bell rings. And Ralphie and the other guys and all the kids on the playground, they all go in except for this kid whose tongue has him affixed to this pole. And he can't go anywhere, and he's moaning and kind of squealing and that sort of stuff. And everybody just leaves him there. And, uh, and nobody realizes it until the teacher looks out the window and she sees this little boy attached to the, to the pole and they go out and figure out, you know, how to get him unhitched from the flagpole. Well, I don't think, uh, honestly, many of us have ever had that kind of predicament, but uh, we all know what it's like for our tongues to get us in trouble, Amen. I mean, how many of you have gotten yourself in trouble because of your mouth? You said something that you wish you could take back, and I guess that's all, probably all of us, isn't it? That we, we've said things and we wish we could unsay those things, or we've allowed our mouth to overcommit us. Have you ever done that? Your mouth has made commitments, you know, that you, that you overloaded yourself. It may have caused you to wound someone. We've all done that. We've wounded someone whether intentionally or unintentionally. Or maybe your mouth has spoken lies and and propagated deception. Maybe your mouth has caused you to gossip. Or maybe it has boasted and exaggerated the truth. Whatever the case, most of us have regrets about not controlling our mouths or our tongues. And in the passage that we're going to read here in just a moment, that's what James is addressing. And I've entitled the message, Managing Your Mouth. We'll talk about it today and next week. But if you're physically able to do so, why don't you stand with me this morning and let's read God's Word beginning in verse 1. Now, uh, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. 
For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at ships. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, and yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our uh, Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Or a grapevine produce figs, neither can a, can a salt pond yield fresh water. Now, Father, would you open our hearts to your word today? Father, give us insight from this letter by James about how to manage our mouths. Father, we all know that we've misused them. Father, we want to bring glory to you with them. So teach and instruct us now. Father, would you take my study, would you take my mind, would you take my thoughts, would you take my words, make them all yours. Father, communicate what you want us to hear. We pray and we're listening for your voice in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The Bible has a lot to say about our words and about the way we speak and the way we communicate. In fact, consider this, that when God gave the Ten Commandments to us. Did you have you ever thought about the fact that two of the Ten Commandments deal with the use of the tongue? One forbids taking the name of God in vain, and the other forbids bearing false witness. And then when when God lists the seven things that He calls an abomination to Him, two of the seven of those deal with the things that we say, our words. Words are important, aren't they? God thinks so, His Word thinks so. And there's no passage in all of the Scripture, as the passage we've just read, that is more detailed when it comes to understanding how the tongue is sourced, how it's used and misused, and how we manage it. Now, James has already touched briefly on this in chapter 1. In fact, look back on chapter 1. Keep your Bibles open. Look over at at verse 19 in chapter 1. Look at this. He says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Then, if you will, look down to verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. So James has already talked about the tongue just kind of in a passing reference, I guess because he knew he was going to go and deal with it a little more thoroughly over here in chapter 3. But why so much detail? Well, it's because 
Genuine faith, that's what our series is about. Faith, just live it. Genuine faith should exert a controlling influence over our mouths. It should, uh, it should control and affect the way we talk. Uh, it should affect our tongue. And James's point is this, that real faith should, should not just affect the way we walk. That's what we talked about previously. But it should also be demonstrated in our talk. Our tongue is an indicator, you see, of the level of maturity expressed in our relationship with God. And that's what he shows us and teaches us in the passage. So let's look more closely at what he is saying. The first thing that he talks about is the teacher's tongue. Did you notice that in verse 1? Not many of you should become teachers. Why does he write this? Well, evidently, there were those who were interested in being teachers but they were interested in being on the platform. They were interested in the limelight that seemed to be drawn to those who taught, and in particular taught the Word of God, the accolades that sometimes came with that. Whatever benefits they perceived might be gained, they said, I want to be a teacher. James was dealing with this. Shallow people, shallow followers of Christ wanting to be influential teachers for God. Some years ago, I had a, a man who was called into the ministry, or at least he came to see me about that. He said God had called him into the ministry, and we began to talk about those things. And I have questions that I ask uh, young men and women that believe that God has called them to, to some kind of ministry. And, and I said, well, what, is, what motivates you to, to uh, follow God in ministry? And he said, well, he said, I've just watched, and he said, I notice how cool it is to be able to stand up in front of a lot of people and talk about God and His Word. He said, I've just been watching that. And he said, I, I just think that's kind of cool. I said, well, you don't, need to, you don't need to be in ministry. I said, because what you're telling me is that you're, you, your call is based on a platform. You want a platform. And I said, do you know the platform's only this much of it? And I said, you're looking for the accolades that come with the platform. I said, can I take some time to disabuse you that there's a whole lot of pain and difficulty behind the scenes before the platform ever appears? There's a whole lot of growing. There's a whole lot of journeys that have to take place before the platform ever becomes a part. And by the way, thank God Almighty he didn't go into ministry. You don't need people that need ministry to be doing and teaching ministry. And James is saying that we need to be more concerned about being spiritually fit to teach than we are with the benefits that is received as a result of teaching. Now the Bible, let me just be clear about something, the Bible is not discouraging us from being teachers of God's Word, but James and Scripture raise the dignity of the role by pointing out the dangers and the requirements of being a teacher of God's Word. And there are a couple of things that each teacher must grasp. Write these down. Number one, it is the awesome responsibility of a teacher. This is why James is warning them. This isn't something to be taken lightly. A teacher of God's Word has the task of accurately passing on God's truth. And for that reason, it is an awesome responsibility. Paul wrote to Timothy, this young preacher in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15, and said, Timothy, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. 
It's an awesome responsibility because it involves a couple of things. It involves, first of all, equipping, equipping God's people to do God's work. Paul talked about this in Ephesians, uh, that uh, we, are, uh, we are to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. And that's part of the responsibility of those who have been entrusted to teach uh, God's Word. By the way, you say, are you talking about people like yourself, Pastor? Or are you talking about people that teach uh, uh, connection group classes, small group? The answer is yes, all of the above. And by the way, all of us are teachers on some level. If you're in your home and you've got uh, 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 children or, or spouses, you're, you're teaching all the time. You know you're a teacher at work. You're a teacher in your community. Wherever you are, God's people are teaching. Now, there are some, there are some unique callings that, that elevate those gifts, but the fact is all of us have a responsibility when it comes to how we're teaching or communicating the truth of God. So we're equipping people, but we're also it's awesome responsibility because it's about educating God's people from generation to generation. From generation to generation. You know why you're here today? You say, yeah, because my alarm clock went off at a certain time and I got up and got ready and I came here. Yeah, that's true, but you're here because of generations before you. And you're here in a church called Ridgecrest that holds high the Scripture because there are people that have gone before us that held high the Scripture. And they passed it on from one generation to the next generation to the next generation. And you know what, by the way, the first institution for teaching and passing on the Scripture, you know what it is? It's not the church. It's the home. Go read Deuteronomy chapter 6 where we're told to teach it to the children and the children's children. And, and on. That's the first place. By the way, there is a famine for that kind of teaching going on in this land. That's why we're experiencing some of the repercussions in this culture of things you see is because our homes have not been effective in passing on the truth of God. And so now we have Christian kids that come back that are confused about their sexuality. They're confused uh, about what, what is right and what is wrong. Why? Because we've just said, well, we don't want to offend Junior. We don't want to, you know, we don't want to push Junior away. We're afraid that Junior may react. I want to tell you something. Junior's friends are not afraid of pushing him away from the truth. Their peers, teachers... The media, social media, all of that, they're not afraid of saying, here's what we believe, we're going to push this on you. And so that's what our, look, that's the first role of the home. But then the church is to reinforce that from generation to generation. That's the importance of the teacher's tongue. It's an awesome responsibility. But write this down, number two, it is, the, it is a role with an awesome accountability. A teacher of God's Word must understand that God holds them to a higher standard. It's just a fact. God holds them to a higher standard because of the incredible power that the tongue has to influence. The writer of Hebrews, Hebrews 13, 17 said this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. But listen to the last statement. As those who will have to give an account... There is an awesome accountability. There's an awesome responsibility, but there's an awesome accountability. 
And all of us, by the way, again, because we all teach on some level, we all share this kind of accountability. This principle applies really to all of us in so many ways. And, and we know that because Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word that they speak. You see, there's an accountability attached to being a teacher. You say, well, I'm just not going to be a teacher. Oh, you're a teacher. You're communicating something. And your mouth is communicating. The second thing that James addresses here is not just the teacher's tongue, but the tripping tongue. The tripping tongue. Did you see that in verse 2? If anyone does not, what class? Stumble in what he says. I heard about a young man and uh, he was working at a supermarket and he was working in the produce department. And there was a lady, she came in and she said, young man, she said, I only want to buy one half of a head of lettuce. And he said, well, he said, madam, I, I don't think we could sell you one half of a head of lettuce. She said, young man, I insist. One half of a head of lettuce is all I need and that's all I want to buy. Do you understand that? And the young man said, well... He said, I understand what you're asking for, but he said, I don't think we can do that, but let me go check with my manager just to be sure. And so he went back through the back of the store toward where he knew the manager was, and he found the manager of the produce department. He said, boss, there's, a, there's an old lady out there. She's a little nutty, and she's got a face like a hatchet. But she wants to buy... Uh, one half of a head of lettuce. Well, about that time, he turned around and happened to notice that the woman was standing right behind him. <laughs> and seeing her there, he quickly responded. He said, and you know, boss, <laughs> I think we're in luck today because this dear lady here wants to buy the other half. <laughs> well, after it was over, the boss sat him down and said to him, son, you're, you're a remarkable young man. You're so quick on your feet. He said, that was pretty good. He said, you ended up landing on your feet. And he said, I think you, you can go places in our company. Where are you from, son? He said, well, I'm, I'm from Saginaw, Michigan. Oh, really? Said the produce manager. He said, uh, um, and wh what's Saginaw known for? And the young man kind of Popped his chest out. He said, well, Saginaw's known for great hockey teams and ugly women. <laughs> well, well, the manager kind of perked up and said, son, my wife is from Saginaw, Michigan. <laughs> to which the young boy replied, he said, oh, really? He said, and what hockey team did she play for? <laughs> Your tongue can get you in a lot of trouble, can it? And usually will sooner or later. And did you notice that in verse 2 he says that if a person can control their tongue, they're a perfect, they're a perfect believer. Now let me help you understand that because you're probably thinking, well, Pastor, I didn't think anyone was perfect. Well, we're not. And that's not what James is saying. The word perfect here in the Greek also translates for the idea of being spiritually mature. And so what he's saying, in other words, a, a believer who has their mouth under control reflects their spiritual maturity because your tongue, you see, 
reveals your spiritual condition. Are you a mature believer or an immature believer? Jesus said this, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and defiles a person. Now your tongue does a couple of things. Number one, it defines you. Your words reveal your character. Whether it's good or bad, it defines you. Would you agree with that? Your words sooner or later are going to define you with people. And uh, again, it may be very good, uh, but it can be very bad. And that means, by the way, not just when you are at church. You know, we Christians are bad. We, we've learned uh, how to speak Christianese. You know, it's like a, like a language. We, how you doing, brother? God bless you, sister. You know, we, and we turn a lot of it into cliches. Jesus is Lord. You know, which is true, but we use this, this language sometimes that we don't use when we walk out there. And, um, and your language, your words define you. I'm not telling you not to use those words. And you're saying, is that bad stuff? I'm not. I'm just saying, do you understand that we sometimes speak one language here and another language there? You know, when you're at home, when you're at work. And by the way, even when you are alone. Do you know, your own words can influence you. Psychologists tell us that there's an incredible amount, the person we talk to more than anyone else is us. And yes, we do answer ourselves. But listen, listen to yourself, listen to others. Does your talk and language change based on, based on who you're hanging with? So when you're with God's people, do you speak the Christian ease? And when you're out beyond this and you're back with work folks and people in your family, does your language change? Does it change? Does it adjust? You see, eventually your mouth will reveal who you are for good or bad. But not only does it define you, Jesus says it has the power to defile you. Your words reveal your corruption. Too many too many people that confess to be followers of Christ undermine their claim by the words that come out of their mouths. Now listen, Jesus said to the Pharisees, he called them a brood of vipers. He called them a whitewashed tomb. And he says in Matthew 12, 34 to them, he says, How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. Too many Christians give themselves a pass on their mouth as if it were no big deal. It's a big deal to God. The Bible doesn't give us a pass. That's why you should take seriously the management of your mouth. Because it's a reflection of who you really are. So, what's coming out of it? Ask yourself, is it gossip? Do you have a critical tongue that masquerades behind concern? Do you have a tongue that is always complaining? Do you have a, a tongue that uh, lies consistently? Ask yourself about your tongue. Then number three on your outline, James speaks of the troubled tongue. The troubled tongue. There's the tripping tongue. There's the teaching tongue. And then there's the troubled tongue. Verse six, the tongue is a fire and it is set on fire by hell. Too often we make the mistake of speaking as if our words have no real power. 
And that's not what James is saying here. He, he compares the tongue to an out-of-control wildfire with the power to destroy and to devastate. Now, why is the tongue so devastating, and why is controlling your tongue such a battle? Well, James answers that question for us right here. He describes what the tongue is, and then he says it is what it is because, look, it is set on fire from hell. That's why the tongue is trouble. You see, the control of our tongue is spiritual warfare. Don't minimize the fact that you're in a spiritual war with your mouth. That is a part of this spiritual warfare with your tongue. And the devil wants to control your mouth. God wants to control. He wants the Spirit of God to, be, that to, to prevail in what you say. And, and always speaking, with, uh, let your uh, language be seasoned with grace, the Scripture says. But the devil wants it to be seasoned with everything else. Why? Because he can undermine God and he can, he can say, see, you, you, if you're a follower of God, God has to be ashamed of you. You're undermining the work of God when the devil controls your tongue. And isn't it interesting that James is having to address this with Christians? He's talking to Christians about their tongues and how they were using them against each other. You know, some of, the, some of the worst misuses of the tongue that I've witnessed in four decades as a pastor is not between the saved and the lost, but often between brothers and sisters in Christ. It shouldn't be this way. We must, we must fight the good fight of faith in regard to managing our tongue. Why? Because the devil, if you don't manage it, by default, we, because we're fallen people, by default, we always go the wrong way. So if the Spirit of God doesn't rule, the Spirit of the Antichrist will. Does that make sense? By default, you'll always default to the worst. And so that's why it's so important that the tongue be under the control of the Spirit. And then number four, number four on your outline, James speaks of the tameless tongue. Verse 8, look there, if you will, he says, but no human being can tame the tongue. He says, one of the things I love about James is he gives all these illustrations. You know, last week we talked, he gave some illustrations, Abraham, Rahab, you know, about an active kind of faith. And in this passage, he starts telling us about ships and and horses and bridles and uh, little things, rudders, a little thing. What's he trying to do? He said, your tongue's a little thing, which, by the way, is why you and I so easily dismiss it. But he's saying it's powerful. You put a bridle on a horse's mouth, you can control uh, this massive animal. You put a rudder on a big ship, and you can control uh, the rudder. The pilot can control where the ship goes. And so James gives us illustrations. He wants to, uh, he wants to put the cookies down on the bottom shelf where we can all get to them so we'll all understand what the message is. And, and here he speaks of this tameless tongue. He said, we've tamed everything else. He gives the illustration of all the animals. All of these things man has been able to tame but he can't tame the tongue. Now, James is, <laughs> he spent a lot of time already telling us how bad our tongue is, right? How powerful it is and suggesting that it has to be controlled. In fact, by the time you get to this verse, verse 8, you could feel completely helpless and discouraged when it comes to winning the war with your mouth, right? I mean, you say, <laughs> yeah, 
I understand this. I, probably most of us and those who are joining us by live stream, television, radio, we probably all could identify with what James has said. There's no problem identifying with the problem of the tongue. Now, maybe we don't realize that we, we, we often don't take it seriously enough, but we all get this, all right? And so when you get here, you say, thanks, James, for telling us the obvious. We know how bad and how powerful our tongues can be. I'm all discouraged, Pastor. Is this where you're stopping today, Pastor? I'm all discouraged. We get here. We could be. But read verse 8 again carefully. Do you see it? You see it? The fact is, he's right. No human can tame the tongue. But he didn't say the tongue can't be tamed. You see it? What he said is that you can't tame your tongue. He didn't say God can't tame your tongue. He said you can't do it. And that means only God, through his Holy Spirit, can control your tongue. And since that's the case... The solution to controlling your tongue is to be filled with the Spirit. What Paul said, be filled with the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Now, if you aren't filled with the Spirit, your tongue will be the fifth thing that I want you to see this morning. The terminal tongue. Again, verse 8, what does he say about the tongue? He said... You know, that your tongue is full of something. What? Deadly poison. You know, poisoning is often subtle. And it's only recognized usually after the damage has been done. But he said, your tongue is like that. It's like a deadly poison. Several years ago, uh, CBS aired a movie uh, called The Karen Carpenter Story. Now, this will date some of you. You remember Karen Carpenter. She and her brother were this kind of dynamic music duo in the 70s. Everything they put out was, was a hit. But Karen died unexpectedly in 1982 of heart failure at the age of 32. And it was brought on, most people that are familiar with them know it was brought on by years of self-abuse and her battle with eating disorder of anorexia and nervosa. But that's not really where it started. You see, what brought on Karen's fatal obsession with weight control was that a reviewer once called her in his article Richard's chubby sister. Richard's chubby sister. Now, I know most people would have said, ah, well, you know, blow that off. Who cares? But she didn't. She took those three words. They were like a dagger. They were like a poison spilled into her system. And eventually, that poison did its damage and destroyed her life. Proverbs 18.21 says that death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. So what does deadly poison look like? Well, let me give you a just a few examples of some poisons that come from the tongue. I know about these because I've experienced the poison. Like the poison of criticism. You have too, haven't you? You 
you've, you've experienced the poison of criticism, by the way, usually masquerading under the guise of concern. Um, I learned years ago that being a pastor is a lot like being a college football coach. Everyone in the bleachers has a better way to do things. And years ago, when I was a young pastor in a very uh, growing situation, I had a couple in my church um, that came to see me. And now, let me just say this. They're they're sweet people, and um, I love them. But they're what I call criticism magnets. Criticism seems to stick to them. And, And then they feel like they need to share the criticism. And so they came to see me, and I'll I, I tell you, I, I think they love me. I never doubted that and everything, but it, it was out of concern they were coming to see me. And they sat in my study with me one day, and they began to tell me, they said, Pastor, we just feel like we, we've come to tell you that there are a lot of people upset at a re- recent, recent decision that you've made in leading our church. And I said, well, I said, what, what does that mean? And they began to tell me, well, there's just a lot of people upset about the decision and the direction that you have taken us. I said, okay, how many is a lot? I mean, at this stage, we were, we were running 1,000. And I said, is it like 500? They went, oh, no, not 500. I said, well, 200? You said a lot. No, it's not 200. 100? No, it's not 100. I said um, 75. No. I said, is it 50? I'm a young pastor. I'm trying to find out how many people. They went. They started going, "Mm, no, no, it wouldn't be 50. I said 25. Well, no, it's not 25. I said 10. <laughs> they looked at each other and went, no, it's not 10. I said, well, how many would it be? I said, if we're running 1,000 people, I said, we're under 10. That's not real high numbers. And I said, there's always going to be some disagreement. They looked at each other and they went, to be honest, pastor, it's, you know, so-and-so, she and her husband, uh, they were a little upset about it and they came and told us about it, but really, I guess that's all we can think of. (laughs) And then by the time it was over, they're going, and you know, they weren't even really upset about it. And I said, so honestly, we probably just don't have a real problem. It's just that you probably didn't like it. Well, no, we're okay with it. You know, we think about it, we're okay with it too. The poison of criticism. Then there's the poison of gossip under the guise of prayer. (laughs) I had a man in this church some years ago. He's in heaven now, so I can tell this. But some years ago, he got extremely angry with me because I would not tell him 
about the circumstances related to a counseling case. I don't share counseling cases with anyone. But he got upset. Somehow he got wind that uh, these people were coming to see me. It had nothing to do with him. And he got extreme. He showed up at my house. And uh, I went out in the driveway, and he confronted me that I, I, he deserved to know because he wanted to know. And I said, that's not going to happen. I'm not going to tell you that. And you know, for, for a long time, he wouldn't even speak to me because I refused to share the poison of gossip. I wasn't going to pass that on. First of all, that's as a pastor. I'm not going to do that anyway. But sometimes, well, how can I pray? How can I pray if you don't tell me? Then third, there's the poison of character assassination. You ever been misrepresented? I bet you have, haven't you? Someone misrepresenting the truth about you or someone else in order to do intentional damage. Or then there's the poison of spreading lies. Why? Just for the purpose of shutting something down. Um, did you see recently a congressman, I don't know all the details, but he pulled the fire alarm and then he lied about why he did it. He lied about, why, why? On purpose, put, well, words are kind of like that. And then spreading of lies to shut something down. Now, I, look, we could go on and on and, you know, it'd be interesting probably if I said, add to the list. I bet we could put a, together a pretty good list, right, of poisons, because that's how powerful words are. And that's how damaging words can be. They're like a deadly poison. How many folks have been wounded almost to death because of the uncaring, unthoughtful words someone has shared with them? And I'm sure many of you have experienced poisons like these. Hopefully, you have not been the source of these. By the way, what would you do when these kinds of poisons are directed at you? Well, there are several things. I can tell you what I, what I do. Number one, I choose to believe what God says about me. What does God say? By the way, not all criticism, not all... Uh, things directed at you are necessarily wrong. Someone said this, if everyone has a problem with you, you're the problem. But choose to believe what God says about you when words are directed at you that are uh, untrue or unfair or unkind or misrepresenting. And by the way, most of the time, just keep your mouth shut. You know what the Bible says? Answer not a fool according to their folly. Sometimes it's not even worth giving energy to it. The second thing that I do is I take in large quantity of God's Word. I get in God's Word and take in large quantities. Why? Because the Word of God encourages my soul. Third, pray. It's better to talk to God than to stew in your hurt. And then stay on mission with God's purpose. Say, what is the mission? You know, Nehemiah is a great example of that when he was attacked for, verbally attacked 
uh, he was putting together a wall around the city of Jerusalem and Sanballat and Tobiah came and they said, come down and talk with us, come down and talk with us. And they had been criticizing everything that was going on on the wall. In fact, they even said if a little fox runs on the wall, it'll crumble. They were all kind of stuff they were saying. And they came and said to Nehemiah, come down and talk with us. And Nehemiah has this great response. He said, I'm not coming down talking with you. He said, I'm up here on the wall doing a great work for God. Why should the work of God suffer while I come down to answer the critics? Now, in your life, sometimes you just say, I'm going to stay on task, God. Here's what you want. Here's how you want me to live. Here's the mission you've given me, and all of us have a mission. And you stay focused on that mission. Well, I need to close. See, y'all thought, you saw six points and thought, oh, he's going to do three today. And three next week, didn't you? Didn't you? That's why I didn't tell you what I was doing. I'm gonna, this is the last point, though, number six. Next week, I'm going to come. Well, I'll get there in just a second. <clears throat> number six, he talks about the twisted tongue. Look at verses 9 through 12. He said, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. He's talking about double talk, isn't he? He's talking about double talk. You know, saying one thing. We, we, we say it like this, speaking out of both sides of the mouth, you know. When you're with this person, you say this and this and this and this. And you're this person, you go this and this and this and this, you know. And by the way, double talk will usually catch you at some point in time. But he says, he, he says, Brothers, look, look, look with me, if you will, at verse 9. He says, with it we bless the Lord and Father, and with it then we turn around and curse people who are made in the likeness of God. You get his connection there? He said it's entirely inconsistent to bless God and then curse the image of God. Did y'all get that? He said, so we bless God, we praise God with our mouth, and we turn around and we just rip into someone else. Look on. He says, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. And then he gives what he does all throughout the book. He gives illustrations, you know, can a fig tree, you know, bear olives, and uh, you can't have a stream that is putting out both fresh and salt water and he says there's, there's this dysfunction about the tongue. This dysfunction. And that came with the fall. That came with sin. This inconsistency of the tongue. That will cause us to bless and praise God. That's a good thing. But turn around and forget and unload and unleash on someone else. Inconsistency in our words is an indication of spiritual dysfunction in our lives. Inconsistency in your tongue, your mouth, is an indicator of spiritual dysfunction in your life. That's why James is addressing this. Paul, Paul said to the church in another passage, he said, if you go on biting and devouring one another, you will eventually destroy yourselves. If you go on biting and devouring one another, you will destroy yourselves. It's true, our tongues are set on fire from hell, aren't they? 
You can't tame it. The good news is God can. And that's why we need Christ in our life, because the Spirit of God in us, controlling us, enables us to speak consistently with who we really are. Your heart contains who you are, and your words express that. And people around you hear that, and they know, whether it's your family or your colleagues. So what do we do? We make sure the Spirit of God has control over what we can't control. Now, next week, what I'm going to talk to you about is I'm going to give you some biblical keys to managing your mouth. So just try to manage it between now and then, okay? (laughs) We all work on that just this way. Um, Put a little challenge before yourself. Here's one. Lord, I'm going to go 24 hours without saying a negative thing about another person. That sounds easy. I'm exempting myself. I'm giving that challenge to (laughs) y'all. But it sounds easy, doesn't it? But it's not easy. Because you see, that old us, that old broken us, it just constantly fights its way to the top, doesn't it? Now you say, well, what do I do? In the short term, what do you do? You confess it to God. God, I let my mouth... Get me in trouble again. Lord, I shouldn't have said that. Father, forgive me. Lord, help me. Put a guard on my mouth. That's what the proverb said, set a guard on my mouth. Well, I'm getting into next week. Um, so, now, if you're here today, you're watching by live stream or television, and you've never trusted Christ, you've got to start there. See, only God can tame the tongue, right? So you've got to start there. If you've never trusted him, I hope you'll do that today. We have it. We've had it this week. People trusting Christ as their Savior. Maybe you need to do that. Maybe you need to call on Him. The Bible says, now here's a good way to use your words. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Whosoever shall call. And and Paul writes in Romans, if we confess with our mouth, that's a good way to use it, and believe in our hearts that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So if you've never, or you're not sure you're saved today, why don't you take care of that? Don't walk out of here saying, I'll get, I, I need to get that right. I'll, I'll eventually get that right. Walk out of here today and say, got it. It's right. Don't be a doubter. If you're a doubter, get that settled. Come and let us help you. We'll pray with you and, and let's take care of that. You can make all your decisions. You know, you can make them. There's a little tear-off tab. You can take it by the welcome there. We'll, we'll be in touch. We'll help you understand the decision. You want to join this church, I want to invite you to come in just a moment. Our staff will be here. And you want to pray at this altar. Come and, and pray at the altar. There's nothing. You've heard me say it a hundred times. There's just nothing like the posture of a bent knee. Do you know that word posture and bent are the same words used in Scripture for worship? There's just nothing like bending the knee before God when you've got something. You're praying for someone. Maybe, look, maybe somebody has wounded you with their tongue. And you need to say, God, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to give that to you. I'm going to give that to you. I've done it. 
Alice and I, a couple of years ago, were uh, uh, listening to one of my favorite Bible teachers in North Carolina, and we were there. And at a certain point in time, he said, if, if you've ever been wounded and you've not dealt with that, you've not confessed that to God, you've, you, and, you've, and you realize that you need to give that over to God, I want you to stand up. I stood up because I, I, I knew in a moment there, there were some words that had come to me. They hadn't stopped me. They hadn't kept me from But I knew that I'd never said, God, here. Allison looked at me and said, it's not me, is it? <laughs> I said, no, baby, it's not you. She's a great encourager. And by the way, y'all are lucky because she laid her hands on me last night and prayed for me to be full of the Spirit this morning when I preached. And so you're lucky this message didn't go longer. <laughs> and if it had of it, it had been her fault. All right? But come and bow and pray. Talk to the Lord. Is there something you need to lay on the altar? One woman told her pastor, she said, Pastor, my tongue has been out of control, and this morning I'm going to lay it on the altar. And he said, well, good luck. He said, I don't know if it's long enough. <laughs> well, I hope that's not you, but come and present yourself lay, uh, before the Lord, whatever it may be. Lord Jesus, thank you for our time today. Thank you for your word, so rich. We need it too, Lord. Thank you for giving it to us, a living word, the living word. Thank you for Jesus Christ, the gracious Savior. I pray for any in this place today or watching by live stream or television or listening on radio that never put their trust in you, that today they would call on you. They would use their words to do what you have told us to do, to call on you, and you will hear that prayer become our Savior. Lord, for those who need a church home, let this be that day for them or whatever the case may be. You speak now before we're gone. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me for our invitation? Brother Aaron's going to lead us. As he does, I'm here. Staff members are on the aisles. You slip out. Balcony and ground floor, you slip out. You make your way down front to the altar here, whatever the decision may be. You come on right now.